our debt. Psalms 113, I know we're tight on time, but I do want us to, uh, to gather something good out of this. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read the odd number verse, and you read the even number verse. Read loudly and distinctly, and we get to verse 9, we'll all read it together. Okay, you got that? I'll read the even, uh, odd number verse, you read the even number verses, all together. Now, praise ye the Lord. Praise, O ye servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Congregation, blessed be. From the rising of the sun unto the going down of the same, the Lord's name is to be praised. Congregation, the Lord is high. Who is like unto the Lord our God, who dwelleth on high? Congregation, who humbleth himself. He raises up the poor out of the dust, and lifteth up the needy out of the dunghill. Congregation. Let's read together verse 9. He maketh the barren woman to keep house and to be a joyful mother of children. Praise ye the Lord. Of course, Psalms 113, the emphasis is just praising God. That's what the word hallelujah means. It means praise the Lord. And uh, that's what worship is about, praising God. And we ought to be able to say praise the Lord with a smile on our face. Let's say that together. Would you say praise the Lord with me together with a smile on your face? Let's do it all together. Praise the Lord. Some of you didn't have a smile on your face. We've got to work on that a little bit today, okay? Let's get a smile on our face and say praise the Lord. Do it again. Praise the Lord. Say it with a smile. Praise the Lord. Aren't you glad you said that this morning? Amen. That's why we're here in church is to praise the Lord. And one of those things we're praising God for is God's gift of mothers. The Bible says she is to be a joyful mother. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you in the grand scheme of God that you made marriage, that you brought, you made a man, and you made a woman out of man. You brought her to him, and she became his wife. And as they claim together and weave that relationship together, Lord, you use marriage as the means for procreation, for the bearing of children. Thank you for the ministry of mothers. And as we take a few minutes to look at that, we pray that you'll help us to have not just an appreciation, but a greater respect and a greater understanding, Lord, of the role and responsibilities of motherhood. And we pray today that in a very, very special way, mothers will be encouraged, especially our visiting mothers today and visiting fathers today. We pray that the Word of God will help us to see how much you love us and the wonderful gift you have for every one of us through your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Bless this service, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, today we acknowledge and honor all mothers. The Bible says for children to obey their parents in the Lord, to honor their father and mother. I want to read you some quotes as we begin this morning. One man said this, Mom was the glue that literally held our family together. I think some of us can identify with this. Some of our backgrounds, that our mothers were the one, were the glue that are holding our families together. I'm looking at some mothers this morning. You're the glue that's holding your family together right now. Uh, George Washington, our first president of the United States, said this, my mother was the most beautiful woman I ever saw. All I am, I owe to my mother. I attribute all my success in life to the moral, intellectual, and physical education I received from her. And then a man by the name of Emmanuel Kent said this, I shall never forget my mother, for it was she who planted and nurtured the first seeds of good within me. She opened my heart to the lasting impressions of nature. She awakened my understanding and extended my horizon, and her precepts exerted an everlasting influence upon the course of my life. And then Thomas 
Thomas Edison, the great inventor, said this, My mother was the making of me. She was so true and so sure of me, I felt that I had someone to live for, someone I must not disappoint. The memory of my mother will always be a blessing to me. I pray this morning that if your mother and your grandmother and your great-grandmother are alive, I pray this morning that you're thankful for your mothers today. Amen? You're thankful for her bringing you into this world. You're thankful for his influence upon your life. This morning, we look at Psalms 113, verse 9. The psalmist is writing about praising God. He's talking about praising the name of the Lord. He talks about how God considers us. Notice verses 5, 6, and 7. He says, Who is like unto the Lord our God who dwelleth on high? I pray that's what we feel like in our hearts. Who can be compared to God? God is incomparable. There's nobody like our God. Amen? There's nobody that loves us greater than God. There's nobody greater in this world than God. There's nobody who cares for you more than God. Maybe this morning you're in a dark place in your life. Maybe this morning you're at a place where you've been disappointed and the rug's been pulled out from under you and somebody's hurt you along the way. I want you to know this morning there's no one like our God who can love you and care for you. He tells us in 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all your care upon him for he careth for you. And then notice in verse 6 he says something else who humbleth himself to behold the things that are in heaven and in the earth. Now that thought is so captivating. God who made everything. God who's creator. God who's sovereign. God who's Lord. God who's king. Somebody give me an amen on that. Amen. The, Lord, listen, the Bible says he humbleth himself to behold the things that are in heaven and earth. That's, that's kind of an awesome thought. God humbles himself to know where you're at right now in your life. He knows your hurt. He knows where you're at. He knows your joys. He knows what's going on in your life and what's going to happen tomorrow. He humbles himself to behold those things. This morning, we get down to verse 9, and he speaks about a joyful mother. He's talking about a woman who, as she started off, she found out that she had a problem bearing children. She was called a barren mother. In those days, to be called a barren mother was a stigma. It was a, it was a dark moment in a woman's life, not being able to bear children. He says here in verse 9, he maketh the barren woman to keep house. In other words, he gave hope. God gives hope to a woman who felt an inadequacy, a shortcoming in her life. And that shortcoming was her inability to bear children. He said she will be a keeper of home. He'll touch that barren woman's life so that she can bear children. And he said, and to be a joyful mother of children. And so that's what we're looking at this morning. What does it mean to be a joyful mother? How how can I be a joyful mother? How can I be a mother that has fulfillment in my life according to God's will? I want you to see some things about a joyful mother. Number one, would you notice with me the hallmark of a joyful mother? The hallmark of a joyful mother. By hallmark, I mean this. Hallmark was referring to the authentication or distinguishing characteristic of a mother. What distinguishes a mother from a father? What distinguishes a mother from a, from a woman that's unmarried? What distinguishes a mother from a man? And you'll notice the distinguished hallmark here is the fact that she's a bearer of children. Would you notice, first of all, in her hallmark, there is her calling. A woman's calling, more than getting married, is the joy of bringing forth children. Genesis 3.20, if you have your notes in front of you, God said this, Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. Eve was the first woman. She was made out of Adam. Eve brought forth two sons in the beginning. She had many more sons, but her first son, his name was Cain, and the second one, his name was Abel. She was called the, you know, the mother of all living. The greatest joy and fulfillment of a woman is the experience of bringing life into the world. Now getting to bearing forth that child is not easy. Going through labor is not easy. You ladies can remember 
this, going through just even beginning when you conceived, realizing that you woke up in the morning and many of you perhaps had morning sicknesses and ailments and there were foods you enjoyed eating that you detested, you didn't like anymore, and there are other foods that you never cared about that you wanted, all these things that go with pregnancy and having to change your clothing and gaining the weight and all of those things, the expectation. And then the day came when labor started and going into labor, there was this excruciation of pain and discomfort that went along with it. And the Bible calls what a woman goes through in terms of labor, travail. There's probably there's no better word in the English language to describe what a woman goes through. A man cannot go through that. It's inconceivable. Man cannot bear children. Thank God for that. Amen. But women bear children. Amen. And women bear children. It's called travail. And travail is a very difficult word. Jesus gives us insight about the word travail. Would you notice John chapter 16 verse 21. The Bible says this. A woman, when she is in travail, has sorrow. Now, a woman goes through sorrow. Now, you husbands understand this. Your woman, she morphs during that moment there. She's morphing there, and you've got to be very careful. You say the wrong thing. Man, you're going to feel the wrath of God through your woman, through your wife, amen, at that moment of time. And she's going through sorrow, and she's going through difficulty there. Because the Bible says, one woman, when she's in travail, has sorrow because her hour is come. But notice this. As soon as she's delivered of the child, she remembereth no more the anguish for joy that a man is born into the world. There's nothing like it. When a baby's born in the world, everything she went through through that time of labor just kind of just disappears for the moment and there's the joy of holding that new life in her hands, uh, holding on to what we call that bundle of joy and to hearing the voice of that child just starts crying and the smell of that baby, which is her own baby, and the comfort and the warmth of holding that baby near to her in that bonding moment. There's nothing like it. It's so wonderful and so one, it's unique. And as a husband will try as much as possible as a new father, he cannot experience or even come to anywhere near the appreciation of what a mother goes through. Listen to this. The joy of a mother is raising her children and realizing that the key ministry of a woman is her children. Ladies, thank God if you have a career. And ladies, thank God today if you've accelerated in your career and you're making a good income and you're prestigious and you're a decision maker. And ladies, thank God today that if you're teachers and you influence people. But I want to tell every mother here today that's in Heritage Baptist Church, your greatest ministry, the greatest ministry God could have given to you that was vested to you was being a mother of those children God gave you. Aren't you glad you're not the mother of somebody else's children? Amen? You're the mother of your children. They're unique to you. And thank God you get to go home with them. And sometimes you feel like, I don't know if I get any rest. Well, the Bible says there's no rest for the wicked. Excuse me about that. But, but God gives you rest for what you do there. And God gives you help through the evening. We thank God for that there. Listen to Proverbs 31 verses 26 to 27 describes this mother and the, her ministry. She openeth her mouth with wisdom and in her tongue is the law of kindness. Now young people, sometimes when your mom tells you something, she doesn't say it once, she doesn't say it twice. In fact, it's re rep repeated all the time. By the way, repetition's how we learn. Can I hear an amen to that? Amen? You know? But she opened her mouth with wisdom. There are things your mom tells you because she knows that you're going to get in trouble if you don't do the right thing. Amen? She opens her mouth with wisdom. And the Bible says, in her tongue is the law of kindness. Verse 27 says, She looketh well to the ways of her household, and eateth not the bread of idleness. Thank God this morning that a woman, the hallmark of a mother is her, is her calling as a, as a mother, bringing children into the world and raising them. and nurturing. Hey, you know what? A mother's job description basically is she does everything. She does everything for those children to make sure that, that, that everything goes well. Well, we see the hallmarks are calling. But notice, secondly, her hallmark is her conversion. Now, I want to talk this morning about being a saved mother. A mother who knows Jesus Christ as your Savior. Now, thank God for every mother here today. 
But there's a special thing about being a saved mother. Being knowing Jesus Christ as your Savior. If you can turn to it real quickly, I want you to go with me to First Timothy chapter, Second Timothy chapter one. And I want you to see a home, a family, where both a grandmother and a mother were Christians. They got saved. They came out of a difficult, and I'll use this term, pagan background. And the Bible speaks of two women, a woman by the name of Lois and a woman by the name of Eunice. Lois was the grandmother. Eunice was the mother. Look what Paul said here. I thank God, 2 Timothy 1, verses 3 to 5. I thank God, whom I serve from my forefathers with pure conscience, that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears, that I might be filled with joy. Listen to verse 5. When I call to remembrance... Paul didn't call to remembrance how great a cook Eunice was and how great a cook Lois was, although I think they were. And he wasn't calling attention to how good of a housekeeper they were, uh, and I think they were, and how talented they were. He said this in verse 5, I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded in thee also. Lois, her name means agreeable. Eunice, her name means good victory. These two women, they had the, the emphasis there. This is a letter being written to Eunice's son and Lois's grandson. His name is Timothy. Pastor Timothy was a young boy when Paul came to the city of Derby. There at the city of Derby, they had never heard the gospel. And the apostle Paul went there and he stood up in some corner somewhere and started preaching the word of God. And there in the midst of them, even though their names are not given at that moment of time, and a couple chapters later, we read about Lois and Eunice and Timothy all knowing the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. They were the fruit of Paul's initial ministry when he went to the city of Derby and he preached the gospel. And the Lord touched the heart of Lois and Eunice. And we're not really sure of the order, but I do know this. Paul speaks about this unfeigned faith, this non-hypocritical faith, this authentic faith, this genuine faith, this real faith, this holy faith that was in Lois and Eunice. Hey, let me tell you something this morning. If we're going to have a faith for God, it needs to be authentic. It needs to be genuine. It needs to be real. The people of this world need to see real Christians, not fake Christians. They need to see people that have a fervency for God. They don't want to see a Christianity where you put on your clothing and put on your makeup and you only show up to church and see God once a week. They want to know that you're living out God every day of the week. Amen. And so we look at here, Paul said, I can't get out of my mind. I'm an old man now. And many years have gone by since I went down there to Derby and preached the gospel. But he said, I still think about the fact that when Lois and Eunice, that the faith of Jesus Christ got a hold of them, and they bowed their heads and confessed with their mouth the, G the Lord Jesus Christ and called them to be Savior, that what embedded into their hearts was not just the gift of eternal life, was not just the fact they became children of God. It was the fact they decided they were going to live for God, and they realized the greatest influence they could have in their life was on a little boy by the name of Timothy. And Timothy there, because of the influence of Mother Eunice and Grandmother Lois, Timothy eventually felt the call of God. He was called to become a preacher of God. Hey, let me say something, moms. It, the seed beginnings of some young preacher that might be growing up in our children's department, some young preacher in our junior high service, Pastor AJ is preaching right now. And the seed beginnings begin with the prayers of a mother that's saved and a mother who reads the Bible with her children and a mother 
mother takes time to say, son, I want you to be somebody great for God. Listen, our world wants them to be great in something else, but I'll tell you this morning, a godly mother desires, I want you to be great for God and for Jesus Christ today. And so this morning, we see the hallmark of a mother that loves God, a good testimony before the Lord. And so today, we encourage you today, ladies, the starting point of being a mother that has, that's a joyful mother is by Lois and Eunice of coming to know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior of recognizing that there's sin in your life and you must confess that sin to God and realize today that you need to take Jesus Christ as your Savior. We see the hallmark of a joyful mother. But you notice secondly, would you notice something else here? Notice the happiness of a joyful mother. Would you notice a key adjective describing this mother in verse 9? She's called joyful. I hope you're happy this morning. Are you happy today? Well, that didn't sound very happy. A whole bunch of you sons and daughters need to give your mothers a gift this morning. Amen. Are you happy this morning? Are you happy this morning? Would you be happy this morning if someone gave you some money? Yeah, no. Are you happy today because Jesus saved you? Amen. That's the happiness of a joyful mother. She's an unrewarded work, but she's happy. He maketh the barren woman to keep house and to be a joyful mother of children. He's talking about a woman who had obstacles physically in bearing children. And this mother, perhaps like Hannah in 1 Samuel 1, perhaps like Rebecca in Genesis 25, who prayed and asked God to open their womb so they could bear children. And God did. The Bible describes this barren woman to keep house. She'd have the pitter-patter of feet in her home. She'd hear that pitter-patter become loud boom-boom-booms of teenagers growing up. She'd become a joyful mother of children. I want to say to every young person here today, don't steal from your mom. Don't take from your mother the joy of motherhood. Encourage her. Love her. Lavish her. Encourage her. It shouldn't be, as you get to a certain point in your life, it shouldn't be about what she's doing for you. It should be, what are you doing for your mother and thanking her for her goodness? Notice some things about the happiness of his mother. She's happy in her work. Go with me to Je- for Proverbs 31 this morning, very quickly. Proverbs chapter 31. I hope you take some time to read that this week. But Proverbs 31 describes the work of a happy mother. And I don't have time to read all of it, but I'm going to just highlight some things for you this morning just because of time. In Proverbs 31, it gives us, if you would, a description of what, what, what goes on with a virtuous woman or happy woman here. You'll notice in verses 10 to 20, he says things like this. Like, for instance, verse 10, Solomon wrote, Who can find a virtuous woman for prices above, far above rubies? He calls her virtuous because she's a woman of great strength. A woman of value and a woman of substance. Hey, thank God this morning for every mother and woman today who works hard at keeping her home, who works hard at cooking, who works hard at getting up early in the morning, stays up late at night, caring for things. Notice verse 11. It says, The heart of her husband does safely trust in her so that he shall have no need of spoil. She knows that her husband is her primary priority and responsibility. She instills security and confidence in him about their relationship. Go down to verse 13. It says, She seeketh wool and flax and work 
worketh willingly with her hands. Here is a, a happy mother works willingly, he says. She works. She doesn't have to be prompted. She's not lazy. It's just her DNA is that she needs to, she needs to be industrious for her home. She sees things that her husband doesn't about the home. There are things she realizes that needs to be clean. There are things that need to be done. She stays on a certain schedule. She worketh willingly with her hand. She just does things that are unique about being a mother. Notice we go down to verse 14. The Bible describes her like the merchant ship. She bringeth her food from afar. That means she goes to great length in what she does for her children and family. Hey, never take for granted. Mom's staying up through the night. Uh, one of the children was quoting on their testimony. I thank my, my mother for helping me with my homework. You know, there's a difference between moms and dads. Dads try to do the homework. Moms help you with the homework. Amen? You know, mom's doing the homework, help you with the homework. They want you to learn it on your own. They want you to get it down. And notice it says here, she goes to great length to help her children and family. Go down to verse 16. She considers a field and buyeth it with the fruit of her hand. She planted the vineyard. She's prudent. She's a wise investor. She's thinking about the future. She's thinking about the fact, hey, we can't just be spending up our money. We've got to be prudent in what we do. She enjoys gardening. By the way, tonight, I'll be speak, saying some things tonight about how we should manage our finances and what the Bible says about proper financial planning. As we think about ready to distribute and willing to communicate. And, and this mother here that's described in Proverbs 31, she's doing exactly that. She enjoys making things that, that live. Notice verse 17. She girded her loins with strength and she strengthened her arms. In other words, she's a woman of resistance. Resilient. She's a woman of strength. She's not someone who gives up easily. I read the story about a little boy who watched his mother as she uh, got herself ready every morning there. And he watched as she would put cold cream. I don't know if women still do that today, but she watched as she put cold cream on her face to kind of help smooth out the wrinkles and things like that and, and try to make her face just be a little bit more, you know, you, you know how it is when you go to sleep at night. You're just, you don't wake up the same as you did before you went to sleep, if you know what I mean by that. And she put the cold cream on her face and try to make herself look good. And so the little boy asked his mother, he says, Mommy, why are you doing that? What's that stuff you're putting on your face? And she said, It's cold cream. And she said, he said, why do you put cold cream on your face? And she said, to make, to make me look beautiful. And so the boy started looking at her like this and started looking at her like that. And she said, what's wrong, son? He kept looking at this like that. And he says, he says, well, mommy, why are you giving up then? Why don't you put more cream on your face there, you know? And a lot of times I think about, you know, we think about some things we do in life, we give up very easily. Now, maybe I'm talking to somebody here today that you feel like the Christian life is hard. You feel like giving up. Don't give up. The Bible says about this woman, she has resilience and she has strength. Don't give up so easily there. And notice something else here. You go down to verse 20. It says, she stretches out her hands to the poor. Yea, she reaches forth her hands to the needy. You know about this godly mother, this joyful mother? She takes time for the needs of others. She's not all inclusive about herself. She stretches out and looks for the needs. Thank God for the serving ladies of Heritage Baptist Church, of which we have many. They've got their own home responsibilities, their children. And I think of many mothers who've invested greatly in the work of the ministry here and still have done a fantastic job raising her family. She's like this woman in verse, 21, verse 20. Look at verse 21. She's not afraid of the snow for her household, for all her household are clothed with scarlet. She looks ahead. She's well prepared. She knows the seasons of the year and she's prepared. She doesn't want her kids getting sick. She doesn't want her grandkids getting sick. Notice verse 22. She maketh herself coverings of tapestry. Her clothing is silk and purple. She has a sense of dignity about her. She's a woman that has class. Thank God if you have a wife that's filled with class. And every woman does. But thank God for that. Look at verse 25. She strength and honor are her clothing. And she shall rejoice in time to come. She's a woman of character. I think Proverbs uh, 31, 25. I think Solomon had some insight to what Peter would 
write about in 1 Peter chapter 3 that, that he talked about that the greatest thing about a woman is the heart of the woman. is the hidden man of the heart. And he says here in verse 25, she's a woman of character. She knows much about virtue and godliness. And then notice as we read earlier, verse 26, she speaks words that encourage and give insight. If you notice all of this here and all these verses, they sum up a joy, the work of a joyful mother. Joyful mothers are busy bees and they're working around the home and their investment is their family. And more than important than anything else, they're concerned about their family. Hey, let's thank God this morning for the work of a happy mother. Amen? But we not only see the work of a happy mother. Go back with me to Psalms 113. Would you notice the worship of a happy mother? Now, this is why I want to encourage you, ladies, if you're not saved, get saved today. Trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. Don't keep deliberating and procrastinating and putting on. And by the way, same goes for dads and fathers today. The greatest life is not what you're living now. The greatest life is getting Jesus Christ to be your Savior. Amen? Calling upon the Lord to save you. Testing Christ to save you from your sins. That's the greatest life you could have. You say, why is it great? What's the change? You're forgiven. You get your name written in heaven. Heaven's your home. Heaven becomes a straight shot from here to heaven. You get all that. You become a son of God. I mean, it's all wonderful. But notice the worship of this mother. Notice in Psalms 113, it talks about praising God. It says in verse 2, Blessed be the name of the Lord for this time forth and forevermore. Hey, uh, 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 the worship of a happy mother, she's thanking God for the name of Jesus Christ. You know what? You may not like your name, but the name that your mother gives you, that's the name that she, she loves. She loves that name. She loves to call it your name. By the way, every mother likes to be called mom, and every mother likes to be called mother. They want to know that you're dear to them. And so this worship of this happy mother, she realizes that she starts your day with God, and she ends her day with God. And when things happen during the day, she realizes she needs to stop and talk to God. Notice it says in verse 3, from the rising of the sun to the going down of the same. In other words, from sun up to sundown, the Lord's name is to be praised. Hey, a happy mother knows she needs to take time for God. Moms, I'll tell you, there's a lot of frustrations in life. There's a lot of difficulties we face. There's a lot of challenges we have. There's a lot of disappointments. There's a lot of hurt. And without that worship to balance out our lives, we're not going to understand how to be the happy and completed woman that God wants us to have. This woman is thankful for God and His goodness. She makes the worship of God her daily process. I just want to encourage ladies today, if you want to be happy in God, if you want to be happy in the Lord, trust Jesus Christ as Savior. But make time every day to worship the Lord. To take something like Psalms 113 and to go through that and say, Lord, I just thank you that you humble yourself to consider me. And I thank you, dear God, that you take the poor someone who's poor in spirit and you, you elevate us to that level where we're, we're somebody special to you. And I want to say this day, maybe you're not going to be somebody very special. You may not be a first lady in the White House or first lady in, in the governor's house. And it may not be that you'll be on the Forbes magazine of the richest female CEOs. You may not make any of that. But I'm going to tell you something this morning. You're special in God's eyes. You're special to God, and you ought to be special to your home. And every husband, and every, every son, and every daughter today should say, thank God that God gave me better than a CEO as a mother. God gave me more than just a businesswoman. God gave me a mother. God gave me a wife. God gave me someone special to fill the void in this home. Thank God for the happiness of this woman. But we see another thing very quickly. We see this joyful mother and her hallmark, and the joyful mother and her happiness. But you notice this joyful mother and her hardships. Would you notice verse 9, there's an interesting word describing her. She was a barren woman. Barrenness speaks of being desolate. Feeling like you're in a wasteland. Feeling like you're in a desert journey going nowhere. Feeling like you're going in circles and wondering, am I accomplishing anything? 
a barren woman. In one sense, it's a woman that could not bear children in this sense. But in a spiritual sense, it might mean perhaps you're just at a place of being emptied. You feel like you need a, you need, you need a shot in the arm. You feel like your spiritual life is languishing. You feel like your fulfillment as a wife and mother's not there. You feel unappreciated. And you know, as we think about hardships this morning, I think every mother's looking for relief in her life. Sometimes a mother's hardship might be a difficult marriage. Sometimes it might be like some of our mothers in our church right now are going through the valleys of trial. For some mothers, their hardships carry for more people at one time, many people at one time. There are many mothers right now. We're kind of part of that, what they call the sandwich generation. She's taking care of her children still at home, but she might have aging parents that are still, that she's caring for at the same time. And she's trying to care for aging parents as well as her children and maybe even grandchildren. And it can be very, very difficult sometimes. Sometimes they, it can be that she's maybe just going through a personal trial. Maybe it's a health trial. Uh, it might be something like that. But I think there's a, there's a hardship, and I just want you to hear me this morning. We're almost done. But there's a hardship I think mothers face that perhaps we really don't understand. They're indescribable. Because when a child is born in a mom's mindset, there's a picture-perfect world, a picture-perfect growth of that child. She sees in her mind a successful child, a child that doesn't give her any heartache, a child that does well. But the truth of the matter doesn't happen. Because your children get older as they, their wills develop and they become more independent. They want to become independent of you. They want to become independent of authority. They want to assert themselves. They want to do their own thing. And what used to be an obedient child becomes a disobedient child. They want to cut corners and they want to skirt things. And they, they, they think they're doing okay and they think they're doing right, but they don't really realize that what they're doing is hurting their mother because their mother has seen all these changes. And I want you to notice Proverbs chapter 10, verse 1 in your notes, or you'll turn there. Proverbs 10, 1, Solomon describes the hardships of a mother. He said here, and he mentioned more than once, he says in Proverbs 10, 1, the Proverbs of Solomon... A wise son maketh a glad father, but a foolish son is the heaviness of his mother. A foolish son is a son who makes bad decisions. A foolish son, a daughter for that, makes bad decisions, chooses the wrong company, goes on the wrong direction, chooses a lifestyle that's not pleasing to their mother or to God. A foolish child is one who decides that they don't want God in their life. They're not going to live for God. They don't want Jesus to be, be Lord of their life. That's just a child who goes against what their mom more, wants more than yet. And you say, well, mom, why do you want them? Because your mom wants the best in your life just as God wants the best in your life too. And then we read down in Proverbs 31, if you'll go down there with Proverbs 30, verse 17. Proverbs 30, verse 17. Are you there? Say amen. The eye that mocketh at his father and despises to obey his mother. Notice the ravens of the valley shall pick it out and the young eagles shall eat of it. You know, Solomon saw during his life as a counselor, hearing all the ills and all the problems of his kingdom, he saw a lot of disobedience in his kingdom because a lot of what he writes here, God inspired that because of what he saw as, a, as he judged the matters of the kingdom. And he saw, a lot of, he saw a lot of disrespectful, insolent children who disrespected their mothers and fathers, and their mothers especially, and kind of just did wrong to them, and spoke wrong to them, and spoke ill about their mothers. And he saw there, he says, you know, the eye that mocketh his father and despises to obey his mother, he says, you know, God's going to catch up with you one 
one day, young person. God's going to catch up with you, and he describes it as the ravens of the valley plucking the eyes out. And he said, now I'm not saying that God's going to pluck your eye out. I'm just saying this. God doesn't look very favorably on disobedience in the home, and God doesn't look very favorably on disregarding the things that mom, mom, moms care about. You see, moms, the greatest hardship a mom has is when their children or children despise her and disrespect her and disobey her. She carries a great heaviness in her heart. Many moms go through sleepless nights not because of something bad they ate or not because of a bad financial decision. Most mothers have sleepless nights because of the heartache she has for her children. Where a child's not where they should be. Where a child is not where they could be. Spurgeon said, our infirmities become the black velvet on which the diamond of God's love glitters all the more brightly. Moms, I want to encourage you today, if you're going through that valley right now of hardship, you're carrying some burdens in your heart because maybe the kids don't see as you see it. Maybe you have a husband that's not saved or maybe you're, maybe you're, you're at a place to just, there's difficulties there. I remind you this morning, you know, you're going through those hardship, just realize today that God loves you and God's there for you and God cares about your need. Many years ago, when Prince Edward was a young, young man, towards the tail end of World War I as the war was ending, he went to the area where they had the triage where all the wounded were kept. And of course, you know anything about war? Sometimes that they just don't have enough medical help to attend to all those who are wounded and hurt. And so he came to this hospital setting, this triage setting where there were many that, many that were there. And from my memory, my memory says there were about 36 men that were very, very horribly wounded. And he asked the nurse that was on hand there to take him through a tour to see all those men. He wanted to visit all those men and greet them and thank them for defending England during World War I and fighting on behalf of their country. And as he was making his rounds, he was counting everyone he went to because he wanted to be sure he saw all 36 men they told him about. And he went from the number one to number 29. He got to number 29. He thanked every one of those men. And they were wounded and they were hurt and they were maimed. And some had to go through amputations. But King, Prince Edward was counting up the numbers and he realized he only came to 29. And they, what, they, what, what the, the nurse what, what tried to get him to think was that that was the end of his tour. And she said, wait, he said, wait a minute, ma'am. He said, I've only seen 29 soldiers. There's seven that I haven't seen. She said, oh, Prince Edward, you don't want to see those seven men. She said, why? He said, Prince Edward, you don't understand. These men have been, they've been horribly, horribly wounded. I mean, many of them are disfigured, and many of them are in a situation. We had to isolate them off from the rest of this population because they've been wounded so badly, disfigured so badly, and they're going through many more surges and things of nature. He said, ma'am, you told me there were 36 men. If those seven men fought on behalf of our country, I need to see those men. She, she had to obey his orders. He saw the first, the first six men, and just as she said, these men were horribly disfigured, and these men were maimed, and they were amputated, and they were going through these excess surgeries and evading in and out of conscience. But Prince Edward lovingly went to every one of those men, and he shook their hands, and he got as close to them where most human beings wouldn't get close to them because of the putrefying of their flesh, and maybe the smell of the blood coming out, things like that would scare other people. Prince Edward wanted to let these men know that they were loved and appreciated for giving their lives and serving on the battlefield, realizing some of those men would never walk again and some of them would never see again and some of their minds were all messed up because of bombings and things like that and before we even came up with PTSD that these men some of them were going through that kind of situation and Prince Edward came those six men he loved them and let them know he's appreciated he said wait a minute wait a minute there's one more man she said you can't see that man 
Why can't I see that man? Sir, he's the most horribly disfigured of all of them. We had to distance him from everything. She said, sir, you don't understand. What used to be a face isn't even a face. You understand what looked like what used to be a human being doesn't even look like a human being. He's got wounds everywhere and blood coming out of him, pus coming out of him, and he's lost some limbs. He's got all, he said, ma'am, you've got to take me to that man. I've got to see that man right now. She said, sir, you need to wear a mask because when you walk in that tent, you're not going to be able to take the smell of that tent. He says, ma'am, you just get me to that man. She led Prince Edward to that tent. She didn't even go in herself. She pulled the tent back. And just as she says, Prince Edward went in, there was a horrible stench. This man was bleeding, just an awful mess. He was given the man's name. He called the man by name. In a guttural voice, half-conscious, barely able to open whatever eyelids he had left, he looked at Prince Edward, closed his eyes again. Honestly, to Prince Edward and anybody else in this room, it was a very repulsive sight. Could anybody even care and love that man? But Prince Edward hesitated for just a second or two. He went up to that man, caressed him on his shoulders. He bent over, put his hands on the man's cheeks, what was left of them, kissed the man on the forehead. Tears coming down his eyes. He says, sir, thank you for loving our country, serving our country, and give yourself as a sacrifice for us. And of all those 37, 36 men that Prince Edward spent time with, he spent the most time with that one man nobody else wanted to see, nobody else wanted to love, nobody else cared for. They just thought they'd give up and let him die. Can I remind you something this morning? If you're hurting, Mom, that's what God does for you. You might feel hurt, and you might feel ugly, and you might feel, repul- repul- you might feel that you've been rejected. But I'll tell you something. Jesus Christ comes close to you, and even more so than Prince Edward, he comes alongside you and wraps his tender arms around you to love you and care for you and let you know that he loves you. Aren't you glad we have a Savior like that this morning? Amen. We see the hallmark of a joyful mother. We see the happiness of a joyful mother. We see the hardships of a joyful mother. As we close this morning, I want you to go back to 2 Timothy 1 with me and we're done. I want you to see the heritage of a godly, of a joyful mother. We're almost done. Paul said this to Timothy. He said, I pray for you night and day. I so want to see you. But he said, something's embedded in my mind I can't get out of my mind. Something's embedded in my mind I can't get out of my mind. You know what that is? When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, notice this, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice. He said, I can't get out of my mind your faith, Timothy. It's a genuine faith, the real faith. But it didn't begin with you, Timothy. It began with your mother and it began with your grandmother. Began with two godly ladies who, in spite of a difficult background, by the way, let me just share this with you today. Eunice had a husband who wasn't saved at the time of that writing. And in spite of the fact he wasn't saved and was very rejecting of her faith, may I say this morning that she went on and still lived for Jesus Christ. 
And he saw this unfeigned faith that was in Lois and in Eunice. He said, it was, listen, I look at what's here. It was passed down to you from your mother and your grandmother. I say this morning, moms, today, you have something to pass down more than money. You have something passed down more than a jade necklace and more than a, more than a ring that you've passed down from, future gener- from previous generations. You have something more to pass down than the traditions and customs of wonderful food that we've received by, by inheritance from our ancestors. You have something more to pass down than a deed of trust on a home. You have something more to pass down than whatever's contained in your living trust today. What you have to pass down is a godly heritage from our Savior, Jesus Christ, today. Now watch this morning as we close. We look at this joyful mother. A joyful mother is saved. Her greatest heritage is children who are saved, who know Jesus Christ as Savior. Children that are saved and living for God. May I say this morning, you're a son or a daughter. You're a man today who's not saved. May I encourage you today, the greatest thing you could do for your wife and give her a Mother's Day present and give it to your, give it to your mother's a Mother's Day present is to open your heart and call upon Jesus Christ to be your Savior today. I think about mothers in the Bible and the great heritage they gave us. I think about the mother of Moses, Jochebed, who gave birth to a son by the name of Moses. He was a nobody. He rose to prominence in Egypt, but Egypt didn't want him. And there in the backside of the desert, God called Moses. Listen, you want to talk about great leaders that have gone, that in years gone by, one of the greatest leaders that ever produced in history was Moses and leading three million Jews through the wilderness journey through this one man who undertook the praying, praying for all of those people by name. I mean, Jochebed, his mother, who never be remembered by most people in this world brought forth a leader by the name of Moses I think about the mother of Joshua who we don't even know her name she produced a son who's a prime example of loyalty and leadership and faithfulness and determination when you read everything about Joshua you you don't find any blemish about this man's life but his loyalty and his leadership and his faithfulness determination where did he get it from I think he got it from a mother that loved God a mother that was saved a mother that learned that if there's anything I can instill in my son that'll help be a blessing and benefit for other people is that let me tell you something this morning. Moms and everybody here, greatest legacy we can give for this next generation, for the years to come, as we live in a very darkened culture, is to raise up a heritage of children who've got convictions about God and convictions about being saved and convictions about living for the Lord and convictions that they need to make a difference in your life. Don't live your life being a gamer and don't live your life being somebody who's just going to go through life. May I suggest to every young person today, live your life in claiming the heritage of your mother and being somebody that God can use in this generation. I think of this morning, I think of the mother of David. We don't even know her name. She produced a son who was a giant killer. I think of a mother, the mother of Daniel. We don't even know her name. She produced a man of courage, a world leader, a prophet, and one of the greatest men of prayer ever. I think of the mother of Simon Peter, who produced a preacher of the gospel and a missionary who went on to make a greater impact as a preacher than he could have as a commercial fisherman. And the words can go on. I think about the mother, the apostle Paul. She raised him. She thought I'm raising a religious son would be we'd, we'd be good, but she didn't do more, raise just a religious son. She raised a son that got instilled with God. But one day he had to come to that place. We're on the road to Damascus. A light shone from heaven, and Paul was knocked off his horse. And looking up to heaven, he knew that was God. Let me say to you this morning, it might be that God is shining his light into your life, into your eyes, to realize today it's not the light from Heritage Baptist Church, from our ceiling. It's the light of God shining your eyes to help you illuminate you the fact you need to be saved and you need to be born again today. God wants you to come to the place where you receive Jesus Christ as Savior, have the forgiveness of your sins, and your sins completely blotted out. Let me close this morning by telling you about a lady who is very famous and many might know or know about. A lady by the name of Betty Nesmith was a secretary at a bank in Dallas, Texas. 
And back in the days before we had computers and word processing and all that, they worked in the old-fashioned typewriter. I remember the old-fashioned typewriters. I remember when you typed on a typewriter, when you made a mistake, that was terrible, right? And so she said, there's got to be a way of correcting all these things. And Betty Nesmith was the one that came up with the solution, which we now call Whiteout. Betty Smith went on to put, uh, commercialize that, and she, uh, she originally called it Mistake Out. And while the company was called Mistake Out for many years, eventually got to the point where she sold the company for $47.5 million to Gillette Company. Think about today, she would have sold it for much more. But she sold it for $47.5 million there and went on to great financial independence. But the greatest thing you think about Betty Nesmith is that she produced something that wiped out, that blotted out mistakes. Can I tell you something today? Uh, better than what Betty Nesmith did, thank God today that the blood of Jesus Christ is shed. It wipes out and covers up all of our sins. Amen. Amen. Today I call upon you this morning on this Mother's Day. A joyful mother, she has her hallmark, she has her happiness, she has her heritage, she has her heritages. But the greatest thing, a, a mother, a joyful mother, she has heaven as her home. And I urge you this morning, whoever you may be, beginning with mothers, going to husbands, going to children, going to guests and visitors, if you're not 100% sure this morning that heaven's your home, how about in this Mother's Day service on May 12th, getting born into the family of God. How about this morning calling upon Jesus Christ to be your Savior, to blot out your sins, completely blot them out, to bring you into the family of God so you can be a child of the King and realize today that your life is a better life, that today it's the best life you could have by knowing Jesus Christ is your personal Savior. Let's bow our heads for prayer.